0: Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you wanna know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson
1: today we're in Luke chapter 17 if you want to open your bibles we're going to be spending our time there today Luke chapter 17 as normal i want to start with a question and here it is you ready here's the question what would make you shout for joy at the top of your lungs today some of you did it yesterday alabama had a really good day on the basketball court and in the football field and some of you i heard you from my house and so i have a neighbor that's one of those alabama fans i won't tell you who he is tim olinger um, but, but, uh, what, what, what would make you shout for joy at the top of your lungs? What would make you so overjoyed that you would make a spectacle of yourself in front of another person and not even care? I, I mean, what would it be that would make, what, what would it would, what, what would it, what would it have to happen to make you look something like this? Look, watch this for
0: Don't
1: care who knows it. I love him and love him. I don't care who knows it. Say I'm in love and I'm in love and I am love and i do not care who knows it. Because that's you're supposed to hear the audio. The audio didn't happen, but I mean it. Well, what would make you act like that, right? Is it love? Would love do that? Would love make you respond like that? She said yes to the proposal, or he asked me to marry him. It might warrant a response like that, right? I'm in love, and I'm love, I don't care who knows it. Maybe, maybe, uh, it's not that. Maybe for you, you would shout for joy if the doctor told you that your loved one had come safely through a surgery that they weren't expected to. To survive. Or maybe you might make a spectacle like that if suddenly all of your debts were rolled away, all your debts were forgiven, and you were able to kind of start a brand new life. What, what would it be for you? What would make you shout for joy at the top of your lungs? Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Keep that thought in mind. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. And he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Why was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Luke tells us that only one of these ten lepers responded with an outpouring of gratitude based on what had happened to them. Is that surprising to you? In fact, I'm not sure what is more surprising. I don't know if it's more surprising that only one came back or that only nine didn't. You know, I, I, don't know. I don't know which one is more surprising. But regardless of that, the picture that I want you to see, because this is the picture that's painted for us all throughout the Gospels, it's a portrait of Jesus' compassion. We see Jesus' compassion here, even in the midst of rejection. That crucial theme is one that runs through all of the Gospels. Jesus ministers to any who reach out to him. Jesus has pity on any who call on his name. None is turned away. Jesus offers compassion to everyone. He doesn't hoard that compassion. He doesn't keep himself from the needs of people. No, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? He continually gives himself away. He gives away everything that he has freely. All that he asks is that we approach him humbly on his terms and recognize that he's ready to help. I want you to notice something else though about this very familiar story. I want you to notice who Jesus helps, right? Jesus reaches out to those who are regarded as outsiders, as outcasts. He touches, it seems, especially those whom others have given up on, who others have walked away from. He reaches out to them on a consistent and a regular basis. And can I suggest to you that if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, then we need to do what Jesus did, right? We need to do the same. And Luke, in this section of Scripture, focuses in on Jesus' attitude toward this outsider, this foreigner. You need to know that this guy was doubly cursed, Right? Not only did he have the death sentence that was leprosy, he was a Samaritan. I don't think you can get any lower in Jewish society than this guy. He was a leper and a Samaritan. It doesn't get any worse than that. Nine men didn't come back to Jesus. I mean, it very well could have been that they were just so eager to get back to their families whom they had not been able to see or live with or communicate with all the time of their disease that they simply didn't think about it and look to Jesus at all. I I don't know. There's a thousand reasons why they didn't go back. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Unexpressed thankfulness from their disease, just like us, grateful. And I think this story is so important for us because it's not just a rebuke of these nine lepers. This story is for all of us who fail to thank God for uh, uh, everything that He gives. Always, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty. And the reality is, you and I—we know in our heads, if we have any faith at all, we know that God is the giver of all good things. We know that every mouthful of food that we eat, every breath that we inhale, every music note we hear, every smile that we see on the face of a friend or child or a spouse, all of that and a million other things are gifts from our generous God. We know that. There's an old uh, spiritual discipline. There's an old song that we sometimes sing about counting our blessings and Naming them one by one given us in our lives. It's a healthiness, and we have the right to every other possible comfort that could be afforded to us. It is smart for us to stop and to recognize where our blessings come from. And Jesus uses a word here in verse 19 that that those early readers would have heard and instantly jumped off on. He says to them, to this leper, rise and go your way. That word rise is a word the early church would have recognized as having to do with resurrection. It's the same word, resurrection. Like the prodigal son, this man was dead and is alive again. New life had come to this man that day. And how did he respond? He responded appropriately. He fell at Jesus' feet in uncontrollable gratitude. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm wondering today. I'm wondering if one of our big problems is that we don't recognize how much we need the new life Jesus offers. I'm wondering if we don't recognize that we need... The new life that Jesus offers. Oh, we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But do we really think we're wretches? Do we really think that's a word that defines us? Do we, do we really believe that before Christ came into our lives that we were Wretched? And if Jesus weren't there, that's what we would still be? Do we understand that today? Do we understand that we're not good? And I don't want to burst anyone's bubble today. I know we're talking about God's love and all of that, but we're not good And I think deep down in our moments, when we get alone by ourselves and we look at our lives, I think that's easy for us to see that. But when we're among everybody else, we think, Yeah, I may not be good, but I'm not as bad as them. We've talked about this before, but I think it's important to say it again. We know Romans chapter 3, verse 23. If I were to ask in unison, my guess is we could quote that verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We would all say that, we would all recognize that, we would all know that. But do you understand that that verse is actually given to us mid-sentence? And why the uh, the people that broke these verses up into into different verses did that? I don't know, but the verse actually begins at the end of verse 22. And at the end of verse 22, what the scripture says is, there is no difference. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you recognize what that verse is saying to us? God, We're not like the child molester or the, or the murderer. We thank God that we're not like the, you fill in the blank with whatever you think is the worst sin out there. But God looks at us and says, there's no difference. There's no difference between you and them. We need a wake-up call to recognize what we have been saved from. There's no... Wait a minute, preacher. This offends people. The gospel, when we understand it, is offensive. You mean to tell me that there's no difference between my grandma, who, who went to church every time the door was open, and some serial killer? I'm telling you there's no difference. There is no, I'm not telling you. We are not good. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, I need you to understand today how devastating all sin is. We are not good. All sin, whatever it is, causes separation between us and God. There is no difference. And so you may be better than me. That's not hard. But we are both lost without Jesus. We are both hopeless without Jesus. And so when you come to Christ, you need to recognize what you've been saved from. You don't come up out of the water and possibly, you can't possibly be the same person you were before. You can't. Not if you understand what you've been saved from. And I'm just wondering, do we know what we've been saved from? Do we know what God has done for us through his son? We are hopeless without Jesus. Hopeless. And in the midst of that incredibly bad news comes this amazing truth. In Jesus Christ, we can can have new life, abundant life. In Jesus Christ, we can have uh, the life that we don't deserve. In Jesus Christ, our death sentence has been removed. Our hope can be restored. Your hope can be restored. Because yes, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody better say amen to that. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. And when we finally grasp, when we finally grasp how awful sin is and how far it separates us from God and how available His grace is to save us, then we will do what the Samaritan leper did. We will fall at his feet in uncontrollable gratitude. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time I did that? We will we will shout, From the rooftops, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. And my life, my life will be changed. The the thought of attitude to this God will, will be out. It will be it will never in our enter our minds. Our worship will change. Our relationships will change. Everything will change. And if it doesn't and maybe maybe you aren't fully grasping what you've been saved from yet. How are you responding? How are you responding to the amazing grace of Jesus? It would probably be smart for me to stop there. But then you would say, that didn't... That ain't worth much. That was only 15 minutes. We need a little bit more. So let's read a little bit further. In Luke chapter 17. Verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them. It's interesting to recognize who's asking the question. The Pharisees are asking the question. When would the kingdom of God come? Jesus says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say look here it is. Or there for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one, of the Son, see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in this day, in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, and so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Verse 31, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken in the other left. There will be two women grinding together at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vulture will gather. This text has been a source of much debate. Countless books have been written, countless not countless, lots of movies have been made about this section of Scripture. And so, when you read what we just read, when you hear the word apocalypse, what comes to your mind? When you hear the word apocalypse, what comes to your mind? The walking dead? (laughs) Do you think about zombies, right? Do you think about something like that when you hear the word apocalypse? Maybe some Hollywood fantasies. Maybe you think about stars falling from the sky and volcanoes and earthquakes. People in terror, panic and rushing in every different direction. What do you think of when you hear the word apocalypse? You know, the Bible has plenty of apocalypses in them or what is often referred to as a day of the Lord, and sometimes they look like that. Well, not the zombie thing, but (laughs) the rest of those, they look like that. And this passage is certainly one of those type of passages. We see Noah's flood sweeping everyone away. Uh, We see uh, fire and sulfur raining on Sodom and Lot as his family as they escape. And, And this is often what people think of when they hear the word apocalypse. But is that what this passage means? Is that what this passage means? When you read about one being taken and another being left behind, there are some who have assumed that being taken is being taken in the sense of being snatched up to heaven to be with God, leaving everybody else behind to survive a frightening world from which all true believers have been removed. Is that what this passage is teaching us? No. No. It is not teaching us that. In fact, it's actually the other way around. The people who are taken are the ones who are in danger. The people who are taken are the ones who are being carried away by hostile forces. They're the ones being taken to their doom. And say, okay, but but who are these hostile forces that Jesus is talking about? And what does all of this have to do with the day of the Son of Man, which the disciples are going to want but not see? (laughs) What is this all about? Well, the rest of Luke's gospel makes it clear how he thought we should understand this passage. This passage is not referring to some future event with supernatural forces are going to devastate a town, region, or the known world. Rather, like so many of Jesus' warnings in the book of Luke, it refers to a time when the enemy is going to invade. Enemy armies are going to invade and bring sudden destruction with them. There's that that reference in verse 37 to vultures. Did you know that that's the same word vulture is the same word for eagle? And guess what? The Roman legions, they 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 had an imperial badge. And you want to know what that imperial badge was? It was an eagle. Could Jesus be giving us a cryptic lesson here about who these people are? I don't know. But here's the point. When the legions arrive, when these armies arrive, the best thing to do is to get out and run. Don't even think about looking back. Don't even think about going back and collecting your belongings. and normal life, it's to not think about the necessities of life at that moment until you've gotten away. People who are found asleep or working indoors... They're going to find the invaders are going to snatch one here and there, and there won't be any doubt about what is happening. It's not going to be a spiritual event. They're not going to need spiritual disturbance. It's going to be like lightning suddenly lighting up a dark sky. You say, okay, what in the world? What does all this mean? What does all this have to do with the Son of Man? Luke here is pointing us back to Daniel chapter 7 and this amazing prophecy. And in Daniel 7, one like the Son of Man is vindicated by God after his suffering. And the sign of this will be the destruction of the oppressors, the powers that had opposed God's people and God's purposes. Who were those oppressors? None other than the Jews themselves. None other than those religious leaders who got their direction and practice from the temple. And so we've seen this time and time again in Luke that Jesus warns of destruction. Remember just a few chapters ago, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you together, but you weren't willing. And then what does he say? Your house is left to you, what? Desolate. You're going to be wiped out. You're going to be destroyed. This is Jesus saying the same thing again. So let's sum this all up. Jesus uses this apocalyptic apocalyptic language of prophecy, Jewish prophecy, to pound some warnings home. And here's, here's what it is. The days of the Son of Man are the days in which this figure who represents God's true people, that's Jesus. Jesus is representing the true people of God. The days of the Son of Man are the days in which this figure, Jesus, is finally vindicated after his suffering. His death, burial on the cross, from the cross, and resurrection. And that vindication will take the form of the destruction of the city, the destruction of the temple, and the destruction of those who have set their face against the gospel. This is what Luke 17, verses 20 to 37 is teaching us. This is what Jesus was telling them. And Jesus says something else. That was for free. I'm not even going to charge you for that. But Jesus says something else really important here. He says that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you or the kingdom of heaven is in your grasp. And so Jesus is saying something important to us. He's not just telling us where the kingdom is. He's reminding us that all of us have, have to do something about this kingdom. It's within our grasp. This, this kingdom is confronting you with a decision. It's a decision to believe. It's a decision to trust. It's a a decision to follow Jesus. This kingdom isn't the sort of thing that's just going to happen by accident. It's not something that you can just sit back and watch. No, God's plan to, to, to put the world to rights again is waiting for you to sign on. This is what Jesus is saying to us. So these warnings here in Luke chapter 17... All came true in A.D. 70, when Rome invaded and destroyed Jerusalem. But the promise of the kingdom, the promise of the kingdom remains. Now, it very well may be that at some future time, when God finally overcomes sin and death for good, and he remakes the heavens and the earth, that there will once more be a moment where, in the midst of normal life, ruin breaks in on those who have not heeded God's call. But that is not what this passage is about. This passage holds out an invitation. It holds out an invitation, even to this day, to those who may be anxious about the future. And what it's saying to us is God's sovereign rule of the world, His healing love, are not only yours for the grasping, but they are waiting for your help. They're not just yours for the taking, they're waiting for you to do something about it. They're waiting for your help. You see, the position God has chosen for us in the work of the kingdom is an absolutely incredible thing. Every one of us who has uh, put on Jesus Christ has been given a mind-boggling calling. You today have been given a mind-boggling calling. And sadly, many of us don't understand our position. And because we don't, we become quite comfortable being consumers of all that God has and quite timid when it comes to being the instruments that God has called us to be. You see, too many people attend church, but have little commitment to the work of the church. That's a problem. Because the reality is, you can't hire enough staff or church ministry people to take care of all the ministry needs that arise in a given week. That's why the kingdom is in our grasp. All of God's children, whether you find yourself working for a church or not, all of us have been called into the same position. We are all called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You see, here's God's plan. You ready for this? God's plan is to make His invisible presence and His invisible grace visible through His people. This is the call of God on your life. You are an ambassador of Christ. He is making His appeal through you. He wants you to make His invisible presence and His invisible grace visible to the people around you. To the ones you come in contact with. To everyone. We are His hands and feet. That's God's call on every one of His children. We're not to be self-satisfied recipients. We're not to be consumers. No, the body of Christ is designed to be an organic, constantly ministering community of believers who are making Jesus known to the world around us. And if we're going to be that, we need three things. First, we've got to catch that vision. We have got to catch that vision. We need to be reminded again and again and again of our place and our work in the kingdom of heaven. We've got to catch the vision that my, my, my role is not to come and just, not just to come, I want you to come, it's not just to come and sit here and take it all in. No, our job is to go out with the good news, to be his ambassador, to be that, that person who's making his invisible presence and grace known visibly to the people around us. We have got to catch that vision. Enough. We've spent enough time in our holy huddle. It's time for us now to go out and run some plays. Catch the vision. Catch the vision of what God would have us be. Catch the vision of what God would have you be and how you can impact the people around you. We've got to catch the vision. Oh and I feel like I feel like it's catching. I do. I see more and more and more. I hear more and more stories of all of that taking place right here, but there's more. There's more that need to catch the vision. There's more that need to make that invisible grace known. Not only do we need vision, we need commitment. We need commitment. I'm talking about the same kind of commitment that you have to your kids' travel sports. We need the same kind of commitment Did I just say that out loud? We need the same kind of commitment, if not so much greater than. We need that kind of commitment to Christ's church, and then some. We need to be encouraged to make specific and concrete decisions to better position ourselves for the work that God has called us to in and through Christ Jesus. And finally, maybe we need some training And by that I mean we need to understand what it really looks like to represent the grace of the Redeemer in the lives of the people whom He puts in our path. We need to be trained to see, we need to be trained not to see those relationships as belonging to us for our own sake or our own happiness. No, we need to see them as workrooms in which the Lord can do His transforming work of grace. We need vision. We need commitment we need people to, to train themselves and to be trained to be about this high calling on our life. The kingdom is within our grasp. It's waiting for us to do something. It's waiting for us to join Jesus on his mission in this world. This is the way to live, and it's an amazing way to live. Oh, it's messy. It's messy, but it's the right mess. To be involved with, we have been chosen by God to be a part of the most important work in the universe. The kingdom is within our grasp. It is, it's right there. We have been chosen to carry the life changing message of the grace of the Savior King with us wherever we go. And you know what's so amazing about God? That this same grace that we need so desperately, He gives to us. And that grace enables us to be the ambassadors that He wants us to be in the first place. <laughs> what a God that we have. What a God that we serve. Remember what you've been saved from. Remember, we're not good without Jesus. Jesus. I don't care who you are, there is no difference. We are not good without Jesus. But with Jesus, not only are we forgiven, not only is there hope, man, we get to take on this some crazy important work that he, that he wants us to join him in and partner with to make his presence and grace known to the world around us. So here's my challenge that I lay before you. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to do something with it? Are you going to take up that mantle? Are you going to say, yes, enough. Enough, I'm, I'm going, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to do what God would have me do. I'm going to be who God would have me. I'm not going to do that perfectly. We're still going to mess up, but that's the amazing thing about Jesus. When I mess up in Christ, I can have forgiveness simply by coming to Him and saying, Lord, I need you. Wow. I just hope, I just pray I just pray, especially with our younger generation, that we can, we can grasp what we've been saved from. I just need you to get that. And when we understand that, then it leads us into the work of Christ. And God does amazing, amazing things in and through us when we let him.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, Don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.